Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, I invite for you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. I appreciate you, Greg, and those that serve with you in leading us in worship, and we are so grateful for the service, not just them, but everybody that serves in this church on any given Sunday, and so we are grateful for you, and I hope that when you came in, you got a copy of one of these bulletins on the back of that. There'll be some notes to uh, guide our time through the Word this morning, and so Exodus chapter 40 is where we're going to continue. We've been walking through the book of Exodus. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, especially a print Bible, you might notice that after Exodus chapter 40, there is not an Exodus chapter 41. So this morning, this will be the last time we'll be in the book of Exodus, and the Lord willing, we'll be off in a different direction next Sunday, but we come to the end of our study through the book of Exodus. We have spent months and months working through this book together, and the last uh, several weeks as we've been in the book, if you think back to uh, Exodus 32, you have God bringing um, his people through the leadership of Moses, bringing them to the base of the mountain. God gives them the commandments, so this is what you're supposed to do. Moses then takes it to the people and says, this is what God said to do. They say, roger that, we will do all what God said to do. Moses goes back up on the mountain. This is Exodus 25 or so. Exodus 32, the people get restless at the base of the mountain. They decide they're going to make themselves their own idol. They make their own idol, God says, nope, that's not what you're supposed to do, and you see a certain events transpire. So the people sin, God then confronts them in their sin and said that you had sinned against me. The people repented, and then God showed his mercy, and God showed his grace and said, that is, uh, that, that is not okay, but I understand, and I will still choose to redeem you, forgive you, and restore you back to me. And then last week, we are in Exodus chapter 36, and we see how the people then responded to God. And there's this cycle that we see, not just in the book of Exodus, but it's the same cycle we see in the book of Judges, and it's the same cycle we see in the New Testament, and it's the same cycle that is true about my life and your life, that we have seasons where we sin against God, God reveals our sin to us, we repent, confess, seek forgiveness of our sin. God gives us that forgiveness, restores us back in our relationship and fellowship with Him, and then we say, we won't do that again. And then we take off and we're good for a few days, maybe even a couple of weeks, and then we find ourselves in the same pattern of sin again. And it's like rinse and repeat over and over again. So last week we were looking about how do the people respond back to God. One of the ways that they responded to God in trying to build in protection against that constant cycle was their worship before God. 
And so we looked at it last week, how God then gave Moses the instructions and says, all right, so I want you to start to put together the materials to build the the needed components to put together my tabernacle. And that tabernacle would serve not not only to be a place of worship, but it would serve to be a place of remembrance. And it would also be a visual reminder to the people that there was an authority in their life that was not them, that was God. And therefore, that should direct how they lived their lives. And this morning in chapter 40, we're going to just kind of settle in on a major truth that I think that we see throughout Scripture that I hope will be a truth that if you have not heard yet or if you've not thought about yet, that you will leave here this morning thinking about the, 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 the different layers, the aspects of this truth. And it's put there right there in the top of your notes, and it's that God blesses obedience. Now, I'm not a name it and claim it person. I'm not a word of faith person. I'm not saying, well, as long as you do what you want to do or as long as you are obedient, that God will do what you want him to do. That's not what this is. But we see over and over throughout Scripture that God blesses obedience. It may not be on your timeline, and it may not be in the way that you expect it, but does God bless the obedience of his people. Time and time again, we see where he does. So here in Exodus chapter 40, we see that they begin to follow and to be obedient to what God has called them to do. And then you see the blessings of God come. So when we look at chapter 40, we're gonna, I'm going to read into your hearing. We're going to look together at all 38 verses because it's all one major thought, and I want you to see with me in the word this morning, how does God bring about those blessings on people's lives? Because I think if we're going to all be honest, every single one of us in this room would say, I would like a little blessing, right? Everybody wants to have a little blessing, and everybody wants to have a little easier life, and everybody wants to have a little favor. Everybody would love to walk out of here with a little extra unction than what we walked in here with. Everybody wants that goodness from God. The danger is, is how do we define what blessings are? are and how do we define how do we pursue those blessings from God so here in the text God gives us a recipe on how he bestows or brings about those blessings in our lives so look with me we're going to start in Exodus chapter 40 and verse 1 I'll read aloud out of my copy of God's word if you will follow along in your copy but let's just look at this first step if you see there in the text the first step of how do we pursue the blessings of God so it says in chapter 40 and verse 1 it says the Lord spoke to Moses saying On the first day of the month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put it, put in it the ark of the testimony. And you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for the for incense before the ark of the testimony, and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar, a burnt offering, before the door of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the place the ba- and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall make the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture, so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stands and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron 
the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father and they may serve, that they may serve me as priest. And their anointing shall admit them to the perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. I'm going to stop right there because right there in verse first, verses 1 down through verse 15, we see the first part of God's blessing. And I put in your notes that when we think about this text, we see it in three different parts. The first part is that God directed. Right here in verse 1 through verse 15, we see God come to Moses. And he says, okay, Moses, this is what I want you to do. Now, if you think, I already told you, he'd already given the instructions. Moses went up on the mountain in Exodus chapter 24 and Exodus chapter 25, all the way through 31, God gave the instructions to Moses of how to build this tabernacle, how to build the, the different furniture in the tabernacle, how was it going to be constructed, how was it going to be composed, what were the colors, what were the furnishings, how was all of this going to fit together. Then the calf came along and delayed the construction and the erection of the temple, but here God comes back in in chapter 40 and says, okay, I still desire, I still want you to put together, fashion this tabernacle for me. And so you see here in Exodus chapter 40, the culmination of what has been going on from Exodus chapter uh, pretty much 25 through 31, and then again in 35 through 39. They have been building, and, and God set aside people, and God set aside material. He not only provided the material, but God also provided the labor. And so all of these things culminate, and God says, I am giving you directions. This is what obedience looks like. This is how you are to follow after me. And all throughout Scripture, we see God giving us direction. God gives us direction on every single page of Scripture. It is God's revealed word to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by human authors. But every single word is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And God is not only revealing His direction, revealing His word, revealing His will to us, but God is giving us directions on how we're to live our lives, how we were to live our lives yesterday, how we are to live our lives today, and how we're to live our our lives tomorrow. And here in the text, you can see, and I kind of try to put emphasis on it, but you hear this common, this common two-word phrase, you shall. If you're the kind of person that doesn't mind marking in your Bible or highlighting, you ought to go back. In verses 1 down through verse 15, you should just keep circling, you shall, you shall. Fifteen different times, God uses the words to Moses, you shall. Now, shall is an interesting word. And if you're big in the technical lingo or the legal lingo, words matter. Words matter in the Bible. So just imagine you look at someone and say, would you do something? Versus, could you do something? Versus, might you do something? Versus, you should do something. See, all of these have different meanings. And all of these have different implications. And so if I look at you and I say, you should read your Bible, that is an encouragement. That's an exhortation. But when I look at you, or if I was to look at you and say, you shall read your Bible, that is a command. That is a direction. So here in this text, does God look at Moses and say, Moses, this is my suggestion for you? No. 
does he look at Moses and say, this is my idea. This is a, this is a really cool idea. Let's take a vote. No. Does he look at Moses and say, this is my recommendation or this is something that I would highly encourage? No, he looks at Moses and says, Moses, if you're going to be obedient to me, this is what you are to do. Why does that matter, Spence? It matters because that is how God views the Bible. All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why does God leave us and give us these instructions? Because he expects us to follow the instructions. You think about the world we're living in today, everything has a set of instructions. Every box you open up to assemble something has a set of instructions. Most, 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 most products you buy are going to have a set of instructions. You buy a box of bar soap. On the box of that bar soap will be a set of instructions of how to use the bar soap. You buy a pack of uh, post-its at the, the, uh, the uh, Staples or, or Office Depot or Walmart, whatever. On the back of that post-it note, they will most likely have a set of instructions on how to use the post-it note. You go out and you buy an ink pen. On the back of the packaging of this ink pen is instructions on how to operate the ink pen to use the ink pen. All around us, we see these instructions, and these instructions are everywhere. How to do this, how not to do this, how it's supposed to use. Then you see the warnings, the warnings, the warnings, all of that stuff. And yet when it comes to the Bible, you've probably heard it before, but some people talk about this Bible as being what? Basic instructions before leaving earth. And yet... We are more interested in what the world says of how we should live our lives than what God says of how we should live our lives. So you come across something and you need to know how to do something. You don't know how to do something. You want to know how to do something. How do you figure it out? Well, you Google it. You got to do something in your house. You know how to do it. What do you do? You YouTube it. We have all of these descriptions to saying how to figure it out. And yet when it comes to our lives, we won't go to the word of God. So here, this first step of blessing. So you say, well, Spence, we're talking about blessings. I want to be blessed. I want some blessing. How do I get some blessing? The blessing starts by understanding what God's direction is to you. Because the blessing is coming from God and the blessings are tied to the will of God and the word of God. And if we want to be blessed, it goes through the conduct, conduit, if you will, of God's word. And so here in these first 15 verses, God says, Moses, this is what I want you to do. He gives his instructions, and he gives his instructions to Moses. Then look at verse 16. Then what did Moses do? Did Moses say, got it, I'm going to consider it? Did Moses say, I've got it? I'm going to pray about it. Did Moses say, I got it. I'm going to take a popular opinion about it. Verse 16. This Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. In the first of the month, in the second year, on the day of, of the first day of the month, the tabernacle um, was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames. And he put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it. As the Lord had commanded Moses, or, let, or as the Lord commanded Moses, verse 20, 
He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the, ta- the table in the tent of the meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. And he set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil. And he burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet when they went into the tent of meeting. And when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. Moses And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and he set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. The first step of blessing we see here in this passage is that God gives direction, that God directed the people. But the second step that we see in verse 16 down through verse 33 is that Moses obeyed. God gave direction, said, this is what I want you to do. And we see Moses stepping into that role, stepping into that responsibility. And what does Moses do? He obeyed God. But it's very unique and it's very specific about how he obeyed God. And if you see there in your notes, what did Moses do? Moses did what God said, and he did it how God said To do it. So God had come in and said, Moses, this is how I want you to construct it. This is where I want the furniture to be placed in the room. This is what I want to be placed upon the furniture in the room. This is the order. This is the precision. These are the steps that I want you to take. Moses did not say, I got it, but I've got a better idea. He did not say, I got it, but you know what? Times have changed. He did not say, I got it, but I'm going to do half of it and I'll do the other half of it later. No, Moses did what God said and he did it how God said to do it. Now, if you and me were there in that time, what would we be prone to do? Well, let's think about this. Maybe there's a better way to do it. Let's try to evaluate this. I mean, you can just imagine Moses in that setting. There were other voices around him. Half a million people are outside the tent that are saying, we've got a better idea. We've got another uh, solution. Why don't you try it our way? 500,000 people out there, 500,000 different opinions, all of them trying to tell Moses how to do Moses' job. And yet what was Moses doing? Moses was listening to the voice of the Lord. Moses was saying what God said to do and how God said to do it is the way I'm going to do it. Yes, there were other voices. Yes, there were other options. But God had a a very specific order, had a very specific set of steps, and had a very specific purpose for why he wanted it done the way he wanted it done. So what was Moses' options? Moses had two options. Either obey the word of God or disobey the word of God. Now this is where our society right now has us all in a tissue. Because what we are told in this society is we have more than just two options. But the Bible only gives us two options. The Bible says either you are going to do what God's word says to do, or you will not do what God's word says to do. 
But us, in our humanity, we want option three, four, five, six, and it goes on and infinitum. Because we want to be able to have a way to do partly what God says to do and partly what we want to do, and then we want to feel good and justified in what we're doing. So we do what we think are the big things, we ignore what we call the little things, and then we get frustrated at God because we feel convicted or guilty or embarrassed or we don't feel like we had the blessings and the unction of God the way we want. But notice what Moses did. It says Moses did what God said to do. Back up in verse 16. This Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded. <coughs> and the last part of verse 33. So Moses finished the work. He did what God said. He did it how God said to do it. And he did all of what God said to do. If you look back up in the first 15 verses and you see all the places that God said, you shall, you shall, you shall. Then you look down in verse 16 through verse 33 and you see all the places that Moses is addressed for either he uses the name Moses or uses the, the pronoun he and all the different places you see where Moses or he and all the different times, about 23 to 25 times that you see where it says Moses did it, Moses did it, Moses did it. And you see this common refrain that Moses did it the way that the Lord had commanded Moses. So there's this emphasis that is there that God says this is what I want you to do and what the text is recording is that Moses did it how did he do it? He did it the way the Lord had commanded it done. Why does that matter? It matters because we're surrounded by a world that is continually trying to rebel against the authority of God. And they are continually trying to get you and I to compromise God's authority in our lives. And they are constantly trying to nitpick and to pull and to undermine and to question. And next thing you know, you and I feel like we're in a constant battle trying to defend our convictions or trying to defend what we believe to be true, trying to defend what we think is right, trying to defend our values. We are constantly under this attack. And it can be easy for you and I to feel like we're under the attack and then to feel like we have no basis for what we're doing. And then we start to crumble, we start to erode, we start to give in. But God gives us his word so that we can stand on God's word and say it's not my idea it's not man's idea it's not my suggestion it's not my mama's idea I am standing because this is what God's word says and I would rather be known as a person that did what God commanded than to be known as a person that served the whim of the people But we're in a day and age that everybody wants the blessings. Give me the blessings. All I want is the blessings. And you, we're living in a day and age that people promise the blessings. But here in this text, the order that it comes is that God speaks. God directs his people. Moses and the people, they obeyed God. Notice the order. What comes first? God's word. What comes second? people's obedience. Then you come to the blessing. That is verse 34. But notice the word order. Notice how it's done. And, and I think most of your English translations are going are, are to flesh this out. It says, in my translation, it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meaning. So you have first God directs, then the second step is that Moses obeyed, and then the third step is then God blessed. Did God bless before obedience? Did God's blessings come before his word? There's an order. 
There's a step here. God directs, Moses obeys, and then God blesses. That's why it is so pivotal. You might underline, you might circle, you might highlight, you might put big stars and arrows, then the cloud. It's this idea that when God directed and Moses obeyed, then the blessings came. You were not going to short circuit the blessings of God. We try to find a hack for everything nowadays. We try to find the shortcut. We try to find the easy way. And nowadays you're driving down the road and if you're sanctified and and one of God's people and you got that Apple iPhone in your pocket, right? And you got the maps pulled up and you're doing the GPS GPS turn by turn direction and they'll come and they'll say, oh, here's a red spot. Don't go that way. And they'll recalculate it. So here's a shortcut if you go around that way. And you're not always tempted. We got to save a minute. We got to save a mile. We're always looking for the shortcut in life. And then we try to translate that into our spiritual life and think that we can shortcut the things of God. I can spend 30 seconds a day in a devotional, and that's the same as studying and reading and applying God's Word for my life. I can, show up for work, I can show up for church one hour a week, and that is a sufficient diet to keep me healthy and growing and maturing in my faith. We think that we can short-circuit the things of God. But notice the order. It says, then the cloud covered. What is so significant about the cloud? It's the cloud is the representation of the presence of God. It's like God showed up. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. I'm here in verse 34. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. We have no concept, have no frame of reference, no imagination of what that would be like to be outside these doors. And the presence of God in the form of a cloud was so thick that we could not even walk in the doors. This morning as I was making my way north of town from where I live, I was making my way um, into town, coming down here in the Faust Blacktop. There was, a, there was a layer of fog. It wasn't a thick fog. There was just a layer of fog down here by the river. And, but, and you see that fog. You see that fog on the horizon. You know that it's coming up. And yet, how many of us get right to the edge of the fog and go, hmm, I can't go any farther? I've stopped. No, we just plow right through the thing, right? But, but the idea, the symbolism, the imagery that we have here is the presence of God so filled the place that Moses couldn't even physically walk in the room. Not because he was scared, not because God's wrath was in there, but because God's glory had so infused the place, he couldn't go in. And so it says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, verse 35. Now verse 36. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So we see this third portion, verse 34 down through verse 38, that God blesses. Now what's so significant about that? Because God kept his Word. What did God tell Moses when he first started giving him instructions about the building of the tabernacle? He says, I want you to build this tabernacle so that I can dwell amongst the people. And this idea that comes along is that when they built this tabernacle and it was set up to the specifications that God had given them, the way that God had said to do it, and they were submissive and obedient to God, then the presence and the blessings of God would come. And God did what he said he would do. And not only did God keep his word, but then God revealed himself in the form of a cloud. And there was that visual 
that obvious sign that God's presence was among us. So you get there in these, this last portion. And the blessing of God was not riches. The blessing of God was not health. The blessing of God was not perfect relationships with other people. The blessing of God was not a bigger building, a newer car. What was the blessing of God? The blessing of God was the presence of God. It was, it was the presence of God upon their lives. And they were so desperate for God that they said, God, we want your presence. More so than your treats and more so than your treasures and more so than our pleasures, our desires in life. God, we want you. And the blessing that they were desiring were the things of God. And yet so many times we in our humanity, and especially now in what is called the Christian church, and I use that term loosely, what is called is when we think about blessings, we think about the treasures, we think about the tangible, we think about the desires and the wants and the pursuits of us in our humanity. We don't think about the presence of God. And he said, what was the blessing? The blessing was the presence of God. And how did that blessing then uh, permeate their lives? It said, verse 36, throughout all their journeys. And he gives us an instruction. Throughout all their journeys, what happens? When the cloud is on the tabernacle, they camp. When the cloud would lift up and then move, they would say, it's time to go. And they would break camp. They'd break down the tabernacle and they'd move. And the cloud would move and they would follow the tabernacle. They, they, would, they would follow the cloud. When the cloud stopped, they would erect the tabernacle. God's presence would come back on the tabernacle and they would camp. They were being led by God. And so not only is his, his keeping of his word, him revealing himself, but God led his people. That's the evidence of the blessings of God. Spence, why do you get so worked up about this? Because there is a lot of manufacturing or synthesizing the Word of God and the presence of God today. And the danger is, is you and I can get so overwhelmed with the manufacturing or the imitation, maybe is a better word, of the presence of God that it becomes to the point that we don't know the difference. And so we come into a worship service. And I'm not knocking the way we're doing it right now, but I have been in the worship services that it was made to evoke an emotion. And they are trying to evoke an emotion from you because they know that if they can evoke an emotional, emotional decision or an emotional response, then that is what they are considered to be a success. I have set as the speaker on the platform had crafted what he was going to say to bring you to an emotional fury. So that your response is emotionally driven. And so at the end of the service, everybody is down here at the front because they're just emotionally broken. But there's been no spiritual transformation. And, and I've seen, I've seen it where they use, they use the imitation of the Spirit. And they use the manufacturing of emotions and the culture to try to imitate the presence of God. And I wonder why. Why? 
Is it because God is not willing to show up and bless the people? That's not the reason why. Because God said, you obey me, you follow me, and I will bless you. So the problem is not that we are now in a day and age that God has said, you know what, the, 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 the registration time is closed or my blessing time is closed or you know what, no, no more. I'm not going to do anything to bless you or to be in your presence. I, I, I'm shut off. These are, I am closed for business. God has not said that. Could it be that God is waiting for people to submit and obey his word in order to bestow his blessings upon them. And instead of people being willing to humble themselves and submit and obey God's word, they then choose to, instead of obey and submit to God, they can just manufacture and imitate and say they have the same thing. And the danger is, is that we have generations that are coming up that can't tell the difference. And you get right here in this text... It's the glory of God that fell upon the place. It was not the riches of the people. It was not the health and wealth, health and wealth prosperity. It was the glory of God and the presence of God. And that was enough for the people. It says, for the cloud, verse 38, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. It's this idea that they were then known. They were then identified. Everything that marked them. They moved when God said to move. They stopped when God said to stop. They camped when God said to camp. They moved in the timing of God, in the presence of God. Everything surrounded, everything circled around God. Because they understood that they could have the blessings of Egypt. They could have the delicacies of the pagans around them. But they, yes, they had the presence of God. They would not have the blessings of God. So you see the people, and they follow this step. Verse 40, verse, chapter 40, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. Verse 16, this Moses did. Verse 34, then the cloud covered. There was a step. God spoke, the people responded and obeyed, and then God blessed. So that is where we are at together as a church. We come to this and understand that when it comes to the blessing of God and when it comes to the presence of God, we can, we can try to manufacture it. And we can try to imitate it. But I don't have a different recipe or another recipe or an alternate recipe that we see the blessings and the favor of God come apart from obeying God's word. And church, I realize that sometimes it's just easier for us to try to manufacture or imitate it. But long term, there is no substitution for the presence of God. First time I was in Mexico. A little convenience store there along the border. And they had these Coca-Colas for sale. They were still in the glass bottle, the long tall bottles if you remember. The old style. And I remember saying, well, they, they were telling me, they were telling me that you need one of these Coca-Colas. And I asked the question, what's the difference in that Coca-Cola and the Coca-Cola that I can get on the other side of the border. And they said it's not the same. Well, why is it not the same? Well, you got to taste it to taste the difference. Well, what the deal was is that there in Mexico, those Coca-Colas were made with pure leaded sugar. <laughs> right? 
the old-fashioned real sugar, right? And, and those were that, that was the old-school leaded version. The new-school unleaded version that you find in the United States doesn't have that same sugar ingredient. And so you sit there and you drink in the United States and you get used to the taste of a Coca-Cola. Some of you have gotten used to the taste of a Diet Coke, and I pity you. Because that's an acquired taste. That, that is something you have to work at is to learn how to like a Diet Coke. And so you sit there in the United States and you drink a red, old-fashioned, classic Coca-Cola and you just assume that's the taste and that's the taste it's always been. And it's not. <laughs> then you go back down to Mexico and you find a Coca-Cola from generations ago and you can taste the difference. Why? Because the carbonation is different? Because the packaging is different? No. Because the name is different? No. Because you have to have a bottle cap opener to open that one versus just a pop tab? No. The difference is, is the essential ingredient of the sugar. Now think about what we're doing here. We can come in. The packaging can be the same. The label can be the same. And people can come in for generations after generations just assume this is the way it is. And yet they can miss that essential agreement of the presence and the unction and the spirit of God. So here in chapter 40, what the blessings were defined as and how the people understood the blessing was the presence and the visible leadership of God. So then how do we take that and how do we plug that into the core values of this church? We think about, okay, so, so here's the recipe that we see in Exodus chapter 40. God directs, Moses obeys, and then God blesses. Translation into my life, God reveals himself to me. I obey and submit to what God has told me to do from his word. And then comes the blessings of God. And what are those blessings? Those blessings are the presence, the unction, the leadership, and the fellowship with God. That is the blessings. So how do I take that then and put it into that grid to build families, teach the Bible, to be the church? How do we take this recipe and translate it into the home? Reminds me, you go back to the Westminster Confession. And in the second, shorter Westminster Confession, catechism, first question is what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? So the question that they were expected that parents were to then take home to their children in a catechism type form is they were to go to their children. They had asked these questions. And there was a question and there was a response. So the very first question out of the shorter catechism, the very first question is what is the chief end of man? And so they would, the parents would ask their children, what is the main priority of your life? And here was the answer. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so you had these parents, and they were asking their children, and in the language is a little bit antiquated, I get it, but they would ask the children, and they say, what is the greatest goal of your life? What is the purpose of your life? What is the reason for your life? Why do you exist? Practically speaking, Looking at Ezra, looking at Luke, looking at Wyatt, looking at Eli, looking at Micah, looking at Tuff, and saying, what is the reason for you being here? And their answer is not academic. Their answer is not athletic. Their answer is not financial. Their answer is not 
tied to possessions or materials or the opinion of other people. Their answer is, my purpose for being here is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why does that matter here in the text when it comes to families? Because we have families that we measure by. We measure their success. We measure what is a good family, what is a bad family, what is a healthy family, what is a troubled family. We measure by all these external metrics, and yet here in the Word, the God, we get this example that you have God's Word, you have obedience, and then you have blessings. So we go home and we teach our families that this is what it means to be living on purpose for God. We understand that our main goal for husbands, for wives, for children, for anybody is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And it feeds back into Exodus chapter 40. Well, then how does this affect us teaching the Bible? <coughs> Obedience is already defined. Obedience is already defined. You, you, look, you think about this passage. God didn't tell Moses, Moses, put together this tabernacle and do it however you figure out how to do it. You, you just make it work. And then Moses goes through there and inventories the parts and inventories how to put it together. God, God doesn't just say, hey, I want you to build me a building. You can decide how you want to build it. No, 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 no. God said, this is how you're to do it. Obedience has already been defined. So why in 2023 are we trying to redefine obedience? Is it because we're trying to marginalize or justify our sin before God? Maybe there's not another parent in this room that's ever dealt with this, but generally in a nice house, one boy gets in trouble. You go to confront the boy for his disobedience. It's very, very likely that boy will then look at you and say, but he, pointing to another brother. What are they doing? They're trying to justify their wrong by pointing out the wrong in someone else. Well, I realize that I didn't do what I was supposed to do, but he didn't do it either. And I will look at them and wait. It doesn't matter what he did. I'm asking you what you have done. And we do that in our Christian life. We look around and we start saying, well, as long as, long as I'm more spiritual than Harold, then you know what? I'm good. As if Harold is the standard. Or if I come and I say, well, you know, if I can sing better than Van, that means I'm good. As if Van is the standard. Or you come and say, well, well as long as I know more about the Bible than the preacher does, then I'm good. As if I am the standard. There is one standard, and his name was Jesus. And it's not to set us up for all for failure because we can't hold to that standard, but it's the model, it's the example, it is the perfect picture of what we are to ascribe to and aspire to be. And so obedience has already been defined. And so you get there in this text and God says, this is what I want you to do. And if Moses doesn't do anything or stop short, he has not been obedient to God. But what did he do? He understood that God defined obedience so he would do what God said to do. And then notice how that then ties into being the church. Verse 38 of the text. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Why do I point that out? Because it was in the sight of. What does that mean? It means it was visible. It was apparent. It means that you, being on the outside of the tent, could see the glory of God inside the tent. It means that you were a distance, a far way off, and you saw the tabernacle, and you could see the cloud 
over the top of the tabernacle. At night, when you couldn't see the cloud, you could see the fire. And so not only were you, when you were this close to the tabernacle, could you see the evidence of the presence of God, but when you were farther away, and when you were farther away, and you were farther away. What do I mean? I mean that when we do this as a church, we will reflect God's glory. How will we reflect God's glory? Because it will be evident not just to the people inside these walls. It will be evident to the people outside these walls. It will be evident to the people in us. It will be in the sight of all the house of Israel that God's glory was upon us. In the sight of all the house of Israel. In view of. In sight of. So we understand when it comes to God's word and the obedience to God's word and the blessings of God, we understand that's baked into our families and it's important that we teach our families the priority of God. We understand that as we're teaching our families and we're teaching the people in this church and leading in discipleship and leading in, in, in education and obedience and, and submission to God, we understand that we do not define obedience. And then we understand that we're doing all of this so we can reflect God's glory so when people are driving by, they see the glory of God. Maybe not in a way they understand, but they see the glory of God in you. They see the glory of God in us. They see the glory of God in me. They see the glory of God on display because the presence of God is here. How does the presence of God rest upon us? The presence of God rests upon us when we are being obedient to the word of God. You want to reach this community? It's not through a better program. It's not through flashy well-printed, designed flyers. It's not by deploying 100 people to go knock on doors. Not by radio commercials, not by billboard commercials. It's not going to be by social media. How do you want to reach this community? Make God so visible here that people see God in us. Be so infused and dripping with the presence of of God, that people see the glory of God in us. See, I'm one of those kind of crazy people that think that the majority, if not all of us, we're all looking to worship something and we're all pursuing something that finds meaning and satisfaction to our lives. And so people are searching for that and people are looking for that. And then when people don't find it in the church, they go elsewhere. And that is why we have so many people outside the church because they couldn't find it in the church. They went out of the church to look for it. So how do we get those people back? Well, it's not by imitation and it's not by manufacturing. It's by you and I in this room this morning saying, God, we have your word. And now, God, we're going to obey your word. And then we will lead the blessings of God to God. So where are you at today? You have God's word. The question is, is are you being obedient to God's word? Well, Spence, if God begins to bless, then I'll begin to obey. That's not the way this works. The step is that God gives us his word, we obey to God's word, and then we let God bless however he chooses our obedience to his word. So where are you at? Are you being obedient to God's word this morning? you stand with me? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. 
if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to being with you next time.